Well, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, we're so excited to gather together as usual. Uh, if it's your first time, my name's Billy. Uh, it's a great privilege for me to get to share with you guys each week and be one of the pastors uh, on your staff. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, that's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you've been with us, you know we are uh, in a series called Knowing God. This is actually week 10. Uh, the reason it's such a long series is because we've been trying to navigate uh, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, the, the narrative of God's Word, right? So we see 66 books in the Bible, but there's one story, and this one story whispers the name of Jesus from start to finish. And so one of the things we want to do this year is really dive into knowing God more deeply uh, throughout the Bible. And so we've made it through the first book of Genesis, and uh, this morning we're going to start in uh, Exodus chapter 3. So uh, let me pray for us, and, and we'll jump right into that. Father, we love you again. God, we believe uh, that your word is powerful. Uh, God, we realize that it's living and active, and God, it penetrates to our heart. God, we realize there's nothing in your word, uh, God, that, that, that will not come, that will come back void. So God, we recognize the issue many times is our heart. So Father, would you create in us good soul? God, would you open our ears to hear your word? God, would you open our ears to hear your voice? And God, would you give us the courage to step knowing that we can trust you? God, that you are a good God and you love us and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Exodus chapter 3, again, we've navigated through the book of Genesis. If you've been with us, you know, uh, we've, last week we looked at the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph was an incredible story. This week, uh, you kind of fast forward 400 years that the Israelites, the people of God, have now been in the country of Egypt, and they have been enslaved. They've been in slavery to the Egyptian government uh, for 400 years, working really hard, being controlled, their every move. And during this time, they are multiplying rapidly, right? So God gave us a promise early on in Genesis that they would be fruitful and multiply and their descendants would be as the stars of the sky. And that is coming to fruition. And the Egyptian government has seen that and they are scared to death because the Israelites are becoming very powerful very quickly because their numbers continue to increase and increase. And so we are introduced to the character of, of Moses uh, in Exodus chapter 1 after, uh, during this time period because uh, at this point the Pharaoh, who is the leader of Egypt, had began to uh, kill all of the babies in Egypt that came out of the Hebrew Israelite people. And so Moses, of course, was one of those kids that he was trying to uh, kill and he put him in a basket and put him in the Nile River. As you know, the story goes, uh, Pharaoh's daughter actually found him on the banks of the Nile, picked him up, uh, adopted him into the, the Pharaoh's household. And so we're introduced to him uh, as uh, really the, the prince of Egypt in a lot of ways. And so he is there for, for 40 years and uh, Moses begins to figure out that his people are the Israelite people and that the Egyptians are mistreating them. He builds up the courage to say, I'm going to do something about this. And so he goes down and in an altercation with the Egyptian guard, uh, he actually ends up murdering the Egyptian guard, right, and buries him in the sand thinking, okay, nobody has to know about this. We won't do it. A few days later, he comes back and he says, well, man, my people are still being abused. I'm going to deliver them out of Egypt. And so he comes to his people and says, hey, I'm God's man. I'm going to lead you out of here. And they look at him and say, who are you? Are you going to kill us the same way you killed the guard yesterday? 
And so that scares Moses. And so Moses ends up uh, fleeing from Egypt. And that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. So here we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. So we see Moses has been out in the desert and he has now gotten married and he is now a shepherd uh, of the flock, not his own flock. He's poor. He don't have any money. Uh, So he's shepherding his father-in-law's flock. The priest of Midian is where he is. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to a place called Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. This is known as Moses and the burning bush, so that's why. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up, right? So this is a very weird scenario. This bush is on fire. Usually when bushes are on fire, they burn up, but this one is not. So Moses thought, I will go over and check this strange sight out why this bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, right? So not only now a bush, God is talking through the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. That should give us a tip that God's presence is obviously here. When God's presence is there, The place where that's happening is holy, and there needs to be separation because we're sinful. He's not. So he says, take off your shoes, stay back, right? Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So he's revealing himself as the God from all time to Moses' fathers. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, talking to Moses, go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now this is the same job that Moses took upon himself and failed at the first time and basically got laughed at out of Egypt. Now God has found him 40 years later and says, hey, let's go back and let's try it again. How does Moses respond? Verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Again, this would have brought up a lot of insecurity, a lot of past failure in Moses' life. But how does God respond? God says uh, in verse 12, and God said, I will be with you. Underline that. I will be with you. That's the promise of God's presence, which is the biggest most blessed promise in all of the scripture. And this will be a sign to you that uh, this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You will worship God on this mountain. The mountain of Horeb is also the mountain of Sinai, which is the mountain where we see Moses receive the Ten Commandments after uh, the Exodus through the Red Sea. So God is faithful to that promise. We'll see later on in the book of Exodus. Verse 13, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, 
The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Underline that. That's very important. I am who I am. That's the name that God reveals himself to Moses as. We're going to learn about that today. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, again, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So today I want to point out three things to you that I think will be very helpful and I hope we can learn together. The first is the call of God. So something we see very clearly in this passage is the call of God on the life of Moses. But I believe we can take uh, some, some, we can learn from it in our own life of what the call of God looks like universally throughout the scripture. And so we'll look at that. Secondly, uh, we are going to learn about um, the, the response of Moses. How does Moses respond to this call from God through a burning bush? May not be the way you would think he would respond. Um, and then thirdly, we're going to look at how Moses is a picture of Christ. Uh, we, we've learned throughout this series, every story whispers the name of Jesus is a foreshadowing for us about Jesus. And so we'll find Jesus in this story, of course. So the first thing is the call of God, right? So uh, there's a clear pattern throughout all of the Bible when it comes to God speaking to someone or God calling someone or revealing himself to someone. Three things. One, there's a revelation, like God reveals himself in a way that gets the attention of who he's talking to. Two, uh, there's a humbling that happens, right? So when we're in the presence of God, we don't respond in arrogance. We don't respond in entitlement. We fall to our knees, any person that God speaks to, in humility. There's great fear there. There's great surrender and submission. There's great humility. And then lastly, God's call always comes with a commission. It always comes with God sending us out to do something, sending us out to live for his plan, namely. So let's talk about the call of God. First, God reveals himself clearly. Here we see God reveal himself in a burning bush, right? You say, well, Billy, I hadn't seen any burning bushes lately. Uh, maybe if you have, I would love to talk to you if you've seen a burning bush. Uh, but a burning bush is not always for everybody, right? This is specific. This is a supernatural event in the life of Moses. I'm not saying God can't do it today. I would actually say God can do whatever he wants to today. But what we see here is that God speaks through a burning bush. This is supernatural. This is something that's obvious. That's God's main thing is he wants to speak to us in a way where we hear him, right? That's what he wants to do is speak to us clearly so that we can hear. And so he gets Moses' attention through a burning bush. We see that very clearly. Secondly, he calls Moses by name. Right? The angel of the Lord, which is Jesus in the Old Testament, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, that's talking about Jesus, literally calls Moses by name. He says, Moses, Moses. Think about being in the wilderness. You see a tree on fire. You're like, man, that's kind of weird. Oh, wow, it's still on fire after a couple hours. This thing's not burning up. And then from it, you hear, Billy, Billy. That would be a very intriguing scenario, right? So Moses, of course, is intrigued. He comes close uh, what we see is that we have a personal God. Listen, there's 7.8 billion people on this earth, and God calls us by name. It, you can't miss this. 
throughout the Bible, we have a personal God that speaks to us personally. That is the great thing about our God is that you don't need a priest. He don't just speak to the preacher. He speaks to all believers. God, uh, through the mediator of Christ, speaks to us. Christ has opened that. And then he calls him by twice, Moses, Moses. That's important. That means that when God says somebody's name twice, that means it's very important. And what he's got to say is urgent. We see that in the life of Paul. We see it in the life of Abraham. We see it all throughout the scripture. Samuel, Simon, Martha, everybody, right? Uh, And another thing you see is that God reveals himself to Moses, not when he's in a good spot. Moses literally is on the run for murder, and he's in the wilderness, on the far side. I mean, the author, Moses goes even further to say, I was on the back side of the wilderness. He was not in a good spot. This guy had been rejected and despised by his own people. Uh, we can see from later on that he is very insecure. Like, he, he, he almost knows his life has been a failure because uh, the one thing that he felt like God wanted him to do, he couldn't do it, um, you know. And so Moses is not in a good spot. Horeb, the name where they're at, actually means desolation. So think about it, God came to Moses in desolation. That should give some of us hope that no matter where we are, good place, bad place, no matter how far we think we are from God, when God reveals himself, it's not about us putting ourselves in a good place for God to come to us. God meets us right where we are. That makes sense? And so he don't come to you just when you're at church. God can come to you wherever you are. I love that and steps into the life of Moses and speaks directly to him. The second thing we see is after God speaks and reveals himself to Moses, secondly, he humbles Moses, right? We see him humble Moses, and this is very important for us to understand. God will always humble us before he uses us. God will always break us before he will use us. He wants us at a place where we are dependent on him, where we recognize I can't do what God's asking me to do on my own. The more you read the Bible, the more you will figure out is that you are not the hero. In all actuality, we don't bring much to the table. But we have a good God that uses the foolish, that uses uh, the unusable to do incredible things for his kingdom. And we see that in the life of Moses. It's kind of like a horse has to be broken before you can ride it. You ever thought about that? And so it's the same way in the kingdom of God. And anytime someone comes face to face with God, we see three things happen. And here's three words I want you to write down. One, humility. Two, fear, F-E-A-R, in a good way. And then three, surrender, right? So anytime someone comes into the presence of God, or anytime God reveals himself to someone, there's this humility that comes about. There's this fear that comes about, and there's this posture of surrender, or God, here I am. Whatever you want, you have my life. So humility first. He asked Moses to take off his sandals. Stop. Stay back. You are on holy ground. Boy, recognize whose presence you're in, basically, is what he's saying. He wants him to understand and have a correct view of God and a correct view of self. And that's what happened when God revealed himself to Moses is it bought a correct view of God and a correct view of himself. Namely, that Moses couldn't do what God was about to ask him to do. And namely, that God could do what God was about to ask Moses to do. He had a correct view of himself in light of God. And then secondly, fear is an unquestioning acceptance of God's word. 
right? So it's a posture of humility. God, I recognize that I should be dead because I'm sinful and you're holy. This brings a humility, a correct view of myself in light of God. The next thing is, God, I don't want to question anything you're doing. God, speak to me. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And the Bible calls this fear of the Lord. And so when you see the presence of God, listen, most of the time people in the Bible that come into the presence of God are scared they are about to die. That's, that's, that's what we see in scripture. But here's the thing. The angel of the Lord always comes in and says, fear not, for I am with you. And so it's not that we need to be scared to death to come worship God or be in the presence of God. It's that God wants a healthy fear in our life. What do I mean? Let me tell you. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. There's this reverence that brings about the wisdom of God. Listen to Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we want to be wise as a Christian, if we, uh, it goes on to say, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, if we want understanding or we want to know God, the posture of our heart needs to be humility and reverence. Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever, contrast, hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So the opposite of the fear of the Lord is a hardened heart towards the commands of God. Does that make sense? So if we come into the presence of God with a little swag and we're like, yeah, God, I just don't know, man. Like, I know you told me to do this, but I think my way's a little bit better. That's, that's not the way we come into the presence of God. That's not the way we see it in Scripture. Psalm 112, 2, uh, David says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Anytime someone comes into the presence of God, there's humility and there's fear. There is a respect, a reverence for God, and a willingness to do whatever he asks. So the takeaway is a person with a healthy fear of God doesn't harden their heart towards God's command. He delights in them. And because of that, we're able to walk in wisdom when we do that. And then lastly, surrender. Uh, one thing you've heard me say over and over again, even in the life of Abraham, is that there's a posture of surrender Notice, when God calls the name of Moses, he says, here I am. That posture, that wordage is, God, whatever you need me to do, I'm in. Uh, you've heard us as we baptize people uh, here at Connection, we ask two questions. Do you believe Christ has done everything necessary to save you? Yes, that's a salvation, like a savior question. And then we ask a second question, which is for lordship. Will you go wherever God asks you to go? And will you do whatever God asks you to do? And the reason we ask that question is because it's the question that we see in the Bible when someone comes face to face with God. It's a posture of God, whatever you want for my life is what I want for my life. I've given you, I've, I've died to myself and I wanna live for you. We see this in the life of Moses. His yes is on the table and because his yes is on the table, God speaks to him in a way. And so if our response, I think the moral of it is, is not humility, fear, and surrender. If our response to God does not characterize by those three things, it may mean that we've not come face to face with who God is in our life. And so we need to understand that those three characteristics are an incredible uh, picture of how we should come into the presence of God. And then thirdly, I told you, uh, God revealed himself to Moses, God humbled Moses, and then thirdly, God commissioned Moses, right? So when he came into the presence of God, God 
commissioned him or sent him out, as Bo was just talking about. Uh, we are ascending church because God is a sending God. He never brings us in and just says, hey, relax, just sit here for the rest of your life. No, he says, come be a part of what I am doing. There's a clear call on Moses' life, out of sin, out of the wilderness, into God's plan. God's plan, go back to Egypt and help and come alongside of me to deliver my people. A lot of people get this twisted. We need to understand this. Notice, this isn't Moses in the presence of God saying, God, will you bless my plans? Hey, I got a plan for my life. I wanna do what I wanna do. God, would you bless it? It's actually the opposite. It is God asking Moses to align to his plan. Right? This is what we see throughout the Bible. It's not, God, I want to live my life and do what I want to do, and will you bless that? It's the opposite. It's Moses coming in and God saying, hey, here is my plan. Moses, I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of what I'm doing. Think about uh, the call of Jesus with his disciples. What does he say? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Right. So he reveals his plan until he comes back, which is for his church, to be accomplishing the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And so that's what we exist to do as the people of God. And so when you become a Christian and you see God for who he is, with that response comes uh, the lordship idea. God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask me to do and go wherever you ask me to go. And namely, you're answering the question, yes, I wanna make disciples for the rest of my life. And many people spend their entire life, listen, I've heard this question more than any question in my whole life as a pastor. What is God's will for my life? Billy, what is God's will for my life? I just don't know what God is trying to tell me. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Well, I can't tell you exactly every specific detail of what God's will for your life is, but what I can tell you is that God's will for your life is to go make disciples of all nations because that's his desire and that's his will for all of his church. And so for us as a church, that is why we exist. That's why uh, we, we want to equip you and send you because we believe God's will for your life is to go make disciples the same way Moses aligned to God's will for his life. So here's my question. Have you experienced a burning bush moment in your life? Hear me. Uh, a clear moment, doesn't have to be a bush on fire outside, not that God can't do that, maybe he does, a clear moment where you knew that God was speaking to you directly because we have a personal God. Listen, as I'm preaching, it's so awesome to hear how the Holy Spirit is speaking to different people differently. I'll have people come up to me after and say, man, I really felt like God was telling me this. And I was like, well, that's funny because I didn't preach on that. But it's a good thing. Like the Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody and, and moving them to do something or to uh, go in this direction or to make a certain decision. And it's so awesome to watch how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so how has God been trying to get your attention? Maybe it's not through a burning bush. Maybe it's through uh, your kids telling you something. Maybe it's through a, a circumstance in your life, through a coworker, through uh, uh, something that God's just pressed into your heart through a sermon, through quiet time in God's word uh, through, uh, I know for me in my own life personally, one of the biggest times that God spoke to me and got my attention uh, was when he destroyed an idol in my life. Many of you guys know I love sports. I played football for a long time, but at one point in my life, football was gone because I had busted up both of my knees and I couldn't play anymore. In that moment, God began to speak into my life. 
And I remember him literally leading me to, to a passage in the Bible that said, hey, God's got a plan for your life. I didn't know what the plan was, but what I knew is that my life wasn't over because God had a plan for my life. Well, fast forward, I move off to college and go and, and begin training to go to medical school, and I get five years in towards going to medical school, and God begins to speak to my heart again and say, Billy, this isn't my plan for your life. I want you to, be, I want you to move towards ministry. And I'm like, that's funny because I don't feel like I'm, I'm a pastor. I can't preach. I don't know that much about the Bible. Uh, you know, I just, just like Moses, brought out all the insecurities and everything. But I knew God had, was pressing that on my heart. And so I took the step and began to step towards that. Fast forward a couple years later, I got kind of comfortable in that. I began to work with small groups over in Statesboro, and I, I felt great about it. I'd learned a lot in my five, six years doing that, and God began to speak to my heart again. Billy, I want you to come plant a church in your hometown. He didn't know. I didn't want to come back to my hometown, right? I was comfortable where I was, loved where I was, and God began to lead me. And again, it was God bringing me to a moment where he was clearly speaking. How did I know he was clearly speaking to me? Did I hear an audible voice speaking? No, God began to speak to my heart. God began to put thoughts in my mind and began to press things on my heart so that every time I was at church, every time I was in Vidalia, every time I was reading my, my Bible, this thought would just not leave my head. And I began to talk to other people about it and, and it just began to be confirmed and confirmed and confirmed. And so God speaks to each of us in different ways. But listen, he wants to be obvious. So, so he's not trying to sneak attack you. You know what I mean? He isn't trying to tell you something and then like, oh, you missed it. No, he's going to continue to speak to your heart. We just have to have the posture to listen to it. So what is it that God's been speaking to your heart? What is it that he's asking you to do? What is the next step that he continues to put there? I'm praying today would be a burning bush moment for some of us in this room today. We'd have the courage to step. Secondly, we see the response of Moses, right? Four times in this passage, we see Moses respond in insecurity. He responds with excuses. God, I can't, but then listen to how God responds to him. You can't, but I can, and I'm with you, so step. That's, the, that's what we see in Moses' life. So turn to chapter four, and I wanna read where this is going on. I'll start in 3.11 and 12, and then bump over to there. So 3.11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Again, hey, they know me. I failed the first time. They're not going to listen to me. They didn't listen to me that time. I'm not your guy, God. I'm not competent. I don't have the ability to do it. What does God say back? And God said, I will be with you. And then you fast forward to chapter 4. Uh, Moses answers again to the command to go to Egypt and, and set the people free. Listen, uh, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, uh, that's a great verse, he ran from it. Run from a snake if you ever see it. I tell my son that all the time. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take the snake by the tail so Moses reached out, he took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And then, and then God does it again. He tells Moses to stick his hand in his cloak. He pulls it out. 
he has leprosy, and then he puts it back in, and he doesn't. So he's showing Moses, hey, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to do signs and wonders to prove that you are my guy. And then he tells him he's going to turn uh, water uh, into blood, and he does that later on in the story of Exodus. Verse 10, Moses said to the Lord after all this, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. All right, Lord comes back. Verse 11, the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who gave, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Again, God says pleasantly, get your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes on me. Verse 13, Moses again, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put his words in your, in his, or put words in his mouth. Listen, I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for, for you and it will be as if he, he were your mouthpiece and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So you see the contrast in mindsets. You got Moses, who's insecure, who's doubt, filled with doubt. I can't do this, God. But then you see God, on the other hand, you can't, but I can. Get your eyes off of yourself. Find your confidence in me, not in your own ability. And that is exactly what God's trying to do. So let's talk about it a little bit. Letter A, Moses' mindset is insecurity because he's focused on his own ability. Moses says, who am I to do this? I have a past. Moses says, what if they don't believe me or what if they don't listen to me? I don't have influence, God. Uh, I can't speak, God. I'm not eloquent. I don't have the capability to do it. I can't do it. Well, you just send someone else, right? He just makes all these excuses and I define them as insecurity. And here's what I'd say. Insecurity is that voice inside of you that whispers, I am not blank enough. I I'm not good enough. God, I don't know enough. God, I'm not capable enough. Whatever it is that you insert into the blank. And Exodus shows us that Moses was a pretty insecure man. He didn't feel like he was capable of doing what God was asking him to do. And all of us at some point will experience this same insecurity. If it's not in our spiritual life, it'll be in life in general. Social media has an incredible way uh, to introduce us to insecurity because anything you, you can do, somebody on social media can do it better, right? This is why I choose not to look at social media on Valentine's Day because whatever I do for Kate that I think is incredible, I look on, on, on social media and somebody else has rented a bungalow in Bora Bora and they went on a date over here and I'm like, all right, I'm an idiot, I'm terrible husband altogether, right? Social media just has the incredible ability to make you feel like you're a terrible dad, a terrible mom, uh, all of the above. But in your spiritual life, what you'll see is most of the time when God asks you to do something, it will be beyond your ability. It will be beyond your comfort. It will cause you to step away from your comfort zone, and your most immediate response will be, I'm not good enough. God, I don't know enough. God, if you knew my past, you wouldn't want me to do this. God, I don't know if this is going to work out. We see this in the life of Moses. God asked Moses to go back to Egypt, deliver his people. 
All Moses can think about is his inabilities, lack of influence, past rejection. But here's the crazy thing about God. God didn't need Moses' ability. All God needed was Moses' availability. And the same is true in your life. God doesn't need your ability. You're not the hero coming to the story. God needs your availability. God needs you to be available and to be surrendered so that he can fill you with his power. Again, eyes off of you and eyes on God, and God can begin to do some incredible things in our life. In contrast, we see God's mindset, Moses insecure, God confident. Not just, that, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So not just insecure, but all the way over to confidence. Basically, Moses says, but God, I'm not good enough. God says, I know, but I am. God, I'm not skilled enough. I know, Moses, but I am. God, I'm not confident enough. I know, Moses, but I am. Find your confidence in me. Notice how God deals with Moses' insecurities. It's not by reinforcing Moses with positive thoughts or helping him discover his inner greatness, right? It's not self-help. Uh, he didn't say, Moses, look into the mirror and repeat after me. My name is Moses, you are a stud. He didn't do that, right? That's not how this process plays out. He didn't say, Moses, hey, visualize with me for a minute. This is you walking in, and this is what's gonna happen step by step. He doesn't do that. What he tells Moses is, I will be with you. I will be with you. Again, Moses, don't look inward. Look upward. Look to God. God will lead you, and God will guide you. He will be with you. Write this down. Christian confidence, Christian courage comes not from a better assessment of your potential, but a clearer view of God. Right? Christian confidence and courage comes not from a better assessment of your potential, but a clearer view of God. Christian confidence comes not from discovering greater things about yourself or tapping into your potential. Confidence comes from seeing how big and powerful God is and discovering his purposes for your life and getting swept up in them. God says, Moses, this is not about you having what it takes. It's about me accomplishing my purposes. This is where so many people make a critical mistake when it comes to reading the Bible. They assume that the Bible is primarily about them. It's a manual for spiritual tips or for helping them achieve a victorious Christian life, but the Bible is primarily about God, not me or not you. Page after page uh, reveal who God is, and only when we come to an awareness of who he is can we discover who we are, right? We look at God, and in light of God, we discover who we are. Only by becoming confident in his purposes will we ever become confident in our own. So I wanna ask you a question to end this point. What if you quit limiting what God wanted to do in your life based on your abilities and trusted in God as the great I am? What if you quit limiting what God could do in your life based on your own abilities and looking inward, and you began to trust God for who he is, which is the great I am. So it's important for us to understand the name that God used that he revealed to Moses. He used the God of Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac, right? What does that mean? That means the same God that delivered them, the same God that fulfilled the promise with them, the same God that was faithful for them, is also faithful for you. But then he also said, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. 
And we need to understand that this word I am is used throughout the Bible, and God wants it to be the name used throughout all generations. And so it means something. Throughout Israel's history, the I am name, God revoked or revealed himself as this whenever Israel was in a time of great need, and then he would attach to it whatever they lacked. Does that make sense? Whatever he planned to supply for them in himself, he would attach to it. Let me give you an example. In Exodus, when the people of Israel were wounded and sick because of their sin, God revealed himself as I am your healer, right? Jehovah Rapha is the Greek for or the Hebrew for it, right? In Leviticus, when Moses laid out the law, the great description of how they were to live uprightly before God, and the people responded with, we'll never be able to live this way. This is too much, God, and they were right, but God answered and said, uh, I am your sanctifier." And I'm the God who will enable you to walk by them. When Jeremiah was discouraged by Israel's persistent inability to walk faithfully before God, and they were saying, how can we survive? We're so sinful. God said, I am your righteousness. I am your righteousness. With David, when he felt lost and confused with no friends left in the world, he called God Jehovah Ra, which means the Lord, my God, is my shepherd. Right, And so we see throughout the Bible, Jehovah Jireh, I am your provider, right? God uses these names to tell us who he can be when we need him to be that. It's not that God changes, it's that God is all sufficient. He can be exactly who we need him to be when we need him to be it. Not just God the Father, Jesus does this. Doesn't he come on the scene in John and he begins to use I am statements to tell us who he is? We see in John 6, 35, to those who hunger, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. To those who thirst, uh, he says, I'm the living water. To those in darkness, he says, I'm the light. To those who need a fresh start, he says, I am the door. To those who feel abandoned, he says, I am the good shepherd. To those who feel lost, he says, I'm the way. To those confused, he says, I am the truth. To those afraid of death, he says, I am the life. This is our God. This is the God that literally when he asks you to step, he can be exactly who you need and supply exactly what you need to do exactly what he's called you to do. This is the God of the Bible, and this is who God wants to be for you and I. But it starts with us having a posture of surrender, of fear, of humility. God, whatever you ask us to do, our yes is on the table, and our eyes are off of ourself and their own God. What if you quit limiting what God could do in your life based on your abilities and you begin to trust God for what he's called you to do as the great I am? What if you begin to do that? For some of you, that's exactly where you are. And listen, I'm not saying that all this makes obedience uh, easy. Uh, Obedience is scary. When God leads you to a place to step, listen, it is one of the most scary feelings in your entire life but that's when you're focused on yourself. When you're focused on him and his faithfulness and the fact that he's always been faithful, he will always be faithful. And anything he calls you to in the future, he's gonna still be faithful because he never changes and he's gonna give you what exactly you need when you need it. And you take your eyes off of you and put it on him, then you begin to be willing to take some steps that you would never take 
And my prayer today is that God would bring us to that point. I know God is moving in the hearts of people in here. Listen, God's asking some of you to step for salvation, some of you to step in baptism, some of you to step into a connect group, some of you to share the gospel with somebody, some of you got a big job opportunity that you got to step into, whatever it is in your life. I'm praying that you would make decisions not based off of your ability, but based off of a God that wants to walk with you. What does he want you to do? Walk in his will. That's where you'll be comfortable. And you say, Billy, that, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I have what it takes. It's the same thing Moses responded. Here's what I tell you. Feeling inadequate is a prerequisite to being used by God. If you feel inadequate, if you feel like incompetent, if you feel like you don't have the ability to do it, I tell you, you're in a perfect spot for God to use you in an incredible way. Think about Paul. He told Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power is made strong in your weakness. We serve a God that can use normal, everyday, foolish people to shame the wise, to do incredible works. The last thing I want to tell you about is a picture of Jesus. Moses is an incredible story of deliverance. Think about it. Moses comes into Egypt. He takes a group of people in slavery, and he leads them out into freedom, into freedom to worship God. Well, think about what Jesus has done for you and I. You and I spiritually are in bondage to sin. We're enslaved to our sin. That means that we don't have any control over it. It controls us. We're born into it. We don't choose to live a selfish life. Selfish life chooses us until God breaks in. But Christ on the cross, he came as our deliverer. God himself, the great I am, came to earth. And he paid the price that you and I deserved on a cross so that he could break the bondage of sin, the power of sin, the penalty of sin was all taken out on him so that you and I could live in freedom, so that we could walk and live in the relationship with God that we were created to live in. So listen, today, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where the story of Moses hits you. Maybe you're on the cusp of taking a big step for God. Maybe it's just a minor step that God's asking you to take to be who he's called you to be. But here's what I know. God wants to speak to you. He knows you. He knows you by name. And he wants to do an incredible work in your life. Would you have the courage to step, not focused on you, but focused on him? So right where you are, I want to pray for you. Father, Lord, you're so good to us. God, when we look at you and God fix our eyes on you, God, it's like nothing else in this world matters. God, what else would we want to do but what you've called us to do? So, Father, I pray for each and every person in this room right now, including myself. God, would you clarify what it is, the step that you're asking each of us to take? And God, would you give us the courage? God, would you fix our eyes on you so that we can take the steps that you've called us to take? Father, thank you for sending Jesus. God, we're not Moses, but you sent us a better Moses. And God, you've given us righteousness. You've given us access to you, not based off of anything we've done, but based off of what Christ finished for us on the cross. God, we rest in that. So God, we ask that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Lord, would you give us the courage to be the people that you've called us to be? Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back next week. 